This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. If Justice Samuel Alito's draconian draft opinion actually succeeds in overturning Roe v. Wade, millions of Americans will feel its devastating impact almost immediately. According to the New York Times, about half of all U.S. states are likely to ban or sharply limit abortion moments after the ruling takes effect. These called trigger laws are part of a decades-long conservative plot to abolish reproductive freedom in this country. So it's so important to remember that the decision would not immediately outlaw abortion everywhere, but what it does is it leaves it up to the states, and which state you live in will make a really big difference in what this decision means for you. So right now, an NBC News analysis shows that 23 states would ban abortion after Roe is overturned. The initial 98-page ruling leaves little room for nuance. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled, Justice Samuel Alito wrote of the nearly 50-year-old ruling and its follow-up. It could also upend the broader landscape of individual rights, potentially leading to changes in the national rules around contraception, marriage, and private sexual activity. Draft opinion from Justice Alito is a frontal assault not only on reproductive rights, but on the legal basis for a whole range Mm -hmm. of legal cases particularly landmark LGBTQ cases, Lawrence versus Texas, or Burgerfell versus Hodges. If, if the Supreme Court, if the government can determine whether you can have an abortion, then where do you draw the line? Can the government determine whom you can marry or whom you can be intimate with or how you can raise your children? All these rights that we've long taken for granted. But the political price to be paid by the GOP for engineering such a hugely unpopular judicial action in the service of the party's culturally conservative base could also be extraordinarily high. Last week, it looked all but guaranteed that the GOP would retake both the House and Senate in this fall's midterm elections, returning the fucking MAGA lunatics to their asylum. The Democrats were acting like a defeated party. The base uninspired and unlikely to turn out. The coming January 6th hearings promised some fireworks, but most Americans appear eager to move on. Stubborn inflation and a disciplined GOP attack machine is succeeding in putting Democrats on the offensive. Then in one fell swoop, conservatives overstepped. Well, I hope it energizes all Americans who care about our democracy, who care about the women in their lives, who care about, you know, an extreme minority dictating uh, the decisions that all of us um, are going to have to make because they're the ones who are trying to determine that uh, for everyone else. So even if you're not a woman, even if you're not gay, even if not in an interracial marriage, even if you don't use contraception, whatever uh, your position is, you should be worried about this. And the real answer is to elect people who will respect uh, the rights uh, and dignity uh, of uh, Americans, uh, women and men alike. Democrats are devastated by the court's decision, but many believe the deeply personal stakes of abortion rights will remotivate voters to turn out for their candidates in a way that few issues can, if any. To some activists, the imminent demise of Roe is inspiring a magnitude of reaction within the Democratic base not seen since the Donald Trump era. 
On Tuesday evening, thousands of demonstrators gathered outside the Supreme Court building where top Democrats like Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts spoke about the need to protect abortion access. It appears, at least for now, that the heroes of the Trump resistance have returned from the wilderness like gunfighters in the Old West showdown to wage one last stand against the gathering authoritarian forces. This is an issue that is defining for this country today. And if the American people don't stand up for equality for every American at this moment in time, we will be undermining a right to privacy in more than this context. Women deserve freedom and bodily autonomy. We deserve to be able to make decisions about when we are having children, under what circumstances we are having children, how many children we are having, and at what time we are having children. I would like to speak to America's men for one minute. Imagine you do not have authority over your own body for 10 months. Imagine if that decision-making would not be taken away even if you would die in childbirth, even if you couldn't decide who you were having children with, even if you couldn't decide when you were having that child. I don't think a man in America could actually imagine not having control of his body, his bodily functions, what happens to him, and what life would be like for 10 months. It is an outrage that we have five justices on the Supreme Court who lied, lied in their confirmation hearings in order to be confirmed. Don't have any agenda. I have no agenda to try to overrule Casey. Um, I have an agenda to stick to the rule of law. As a judge, it is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. By it, I mean Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Been reaffirmed many times. Roe versus Wade, decided in 1973, is a precedent of the United States Supreme Court. It was reaffirmed in Casey in 1992 and in several other cases. So a good judge will consider it as precedent of the United States Supreme Court worthy as treatment of precedent like any other. Roe versus Wade is a, an important precedent of the Supreme Court. It was decided in 1973. The Supreme Court has reaffirmed the decision. When a decision is challenged and it is reaffirmed, that strengthens its value. I believe the Constitution protects the right to privacy. And I have no reason or agenda to prejudge the issue. What would he have done if he if he'd asked? Senator, I would have walked out the door. It's not what judges do. With the wording of Alito's decision, there is a sense that Roe is just the beginning. LGBTQ rights, gay marriage, all of it will soon be under attack. If the erosion of voting rights didn't scare voters, this should get them on their feet. The GOP is coming for your fucking rights, all of them. I have a daughter that is a trans woman. And right now, she is incredibly scared. Incredibly. And I just want to be clear that there is not a lot I can say to assuage that, given that opinion. That I read the opinion last night, too. And I am very concerned, because guess what? They're coming for women's bodily autonomy. What's next? LGBTQ? Here's the thing. Alito and the other conservative justices are pushing something far beyond the mainstream. 
by a roughly two to one margin, Americans want to see Roe upheld, according to an ABC News Washington Post poll last week, and a majority broadly support abortion rights. Roughly seven in 10 Americans say the decision should be made by the pregnant person and their doctors, with only one in four saying the law should regulate that decision. Most Americans stand on what the Supreme Court seems to be poised to do here, overturn Roe v. Wade. Yeah, Jake, this poll conducted by SSRS was taken entirely after that draft opinion was made public by Politico, and we found opinion hasn't moved that much. It's still a two to one uh, electorate here in favor of keeping Roe as law of the land. 66% say no, they don't support the Supreme Court overturning Roe. 34% say they do. But the partisan divide remains pronounced in the poll, with 75% of Democrats telling ABC Post pollsters that Roe should stand and 44% of Republicans saying it should be overturned. But among the biggest block of voters, the 40% who identify as independents, 53% say Roe should be left in place. Speaking to reporters on a Thursday press call, Jamie Harrison, chair of the Democratic National Committee, argued that abortion rights will become a critical issue in the November midterms if the 1973 landmark decision in the Roe case is overturned. The Republican attacks on abortion access, their attacks on birth control and women's health care, these things have dramatically escalated the stakes of the 2022 election, Harrison said. In November, we must elect Democrats who will serve as the last lines of defense against the GOP's assault on our established and fundamental freedoms. I think the, the dialogue has got so caught up on where you draw the line that we've gotten away from the fundamental question of who gets to draw the line. And I trust women to draw the line when it's their own. So, so just to be clear, just to be clear, you're saying that you would be okay with a woman well into the third trimester deciding to abort her pregnancy. Look, the, these hypotheticals are usually set up in order to provoke a strong well, no, emotional... No, but in no, fairness, oh, oh, all right, so it's not hypothetical. There are 6,000 women a year who get abortions in the third That's right, representing less than 1% of cases. I but know, let, but 6,000 pregnancies. Let's take ourselves in... Yeah. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of a woman in that situation. If it's that late in your pregnancy, that means almost by definition, you've been expecting to carry it to term. We're talking about women who have perhaps chosen a name, women who have purchased a crib, families that then get the most devastating medical news of their lifetime, something about the health or the life of the mother that forces them to make an impossible, unthinkable choice. And the bottom line is, uh, as horrible as that choice is, uh, uh, that woman, that family may seek uh, spiritual guidance, they may speak, seek medical guidance, but it's, that decision's not going to be made any better, medically or morally, because the government is dictating how that decision should be made. Even the de facto leader of the Republican Party, and I'm talking about Donald Trump, has been hesitant to address the content of the court's decision. The normally verbose former president has not yet released a statement about the draft opinion, although he has commented on the leak when asked by reporters. Nobody knows what exactly it represents, if that's going to be it, Trump told Politico on Wednesday. 
I think the one thing that really is so horrible is the leaking for the court and for the country. Trump's reluctance to address the draft opinion is even more notable considering his three Supreme Court nominees, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Comey Barrett, all initially voted to overturn Roe, according to the leaked provisional opinion published on Monday night. The former president also promised during the 2016 campaign to select Supreme Court nominees who would help reverse the landmark 1973 case. Do you want to see the court overturn Roe Well, if we put another two or perhaps three justices on, that's really what's going to be, that will happen. And that'll happen automatically, in my opinion, because I am putting pro-life justices on the court. Meanwhile, new metal barriers went up in front of the marble steps and columns of the majestic Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C., close to the U.S. Capitol this week, a stark symbol of the sudden politicization of the court that has always preferred to keep itself above the partisan fray. Just about moving forward, these activists posted a map with the home addresses of the Supreme Court justices. Is that the kind of thing this president wants? to help your side make their point. Look, I think the president's view is that there's a lot of passion, a lot of fear, uh, a lot of uh, sadness from many, many people across this country about what they saw in that leaked document. Uh, we obviously want people's privacy to be respected. We want people to protest peacefully if they want to, to protest. That is certainly what the president's view would be. So he doesn't care if they're protesting outside the Supreme Court or outside someone's private residence? I, I don't have an official U.S. government position on where people protest. I want it, we, we want it, of course, to be peaceful. And certainly the president would want people's uh, privacy to be respected. But I think we shouldn't lose the point here. The reason people are protesting is because women across the country are worried about their fundamental rights that have been law for 50 years, their rights to make choices about their own bodies and their own health care are at risk. That's why people are protesting. This came after fierce protests erupted there within minutes of the leak on Monday, with police separating protesters in rival camps the following day. Law enforcement officials in many places across the U.S. are braced for potential civil unrest and women's rights groups are planning massive protests in several cities for next weekend to demand the protection of the right to choose in reproductive health care. And I got to tell you, other than January 6th, I can't remember the last time I saw the Supreme Court with this much security and a perimeter closed off. That is the backside of the court. And take a look. You've got these large barriers up and you've got dump trucks set up on the front side keeping vehicular traffic away it was Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts who confirmed the authenticity of that leaked draft opinion in this abortion case it was another restless night here outside of the Supreme Court loud protesters voicing their opinions for and against the justices reminding Americans this morning that a, it that was just an opinion it is far from a final decision I am here because I am angry and I am here because the United States Congress can change all of this. I have seen the world where abortion is illegal and we are not going back. Attacks on Republican candidates are underway as are a flurry of pleas for donations. 
ads defending abortion rights are rapidly populating social media. The Democratic National Committee launched a text messaging campaign to move people to the streets while some of the most powerful Democratic groups in the country were huddling to reshape their messaging. It said public sentiment is everything. With it, you can yeah. accomplish almost anything. Without it, nothing. And women just have to weigh in. I don't yeah. think there's a good outcome here, but I think there's a better outcome than what we have seen in the first draft. Meanwhile, amidst all the uproar, the search for the leaker continues. Not since the days of Woodward and Bernstein introduced this nation to Deep Throat has Washington been so eager to unmask a leaker. With the Supreme Court now seemingly on the brink of striking down Roe v. Wade, many people are horrified. Not that women in half the country would lose their rights over their own body, but rather that this information got leaked, which is weird. It's like running around the deck of the Titanic trying to find out who yelled, we're sinking, instead of focusing on the iceberg. <laughs> now, Chief Justice John Roberts has announced an immediate investigation to identify the leaker. But cable news doesn't have time to wait around, so everyone knows who really did it. Who did it? That's the question everyone is asking today. Who's behind the leak? Was it a clerk? Was it somebody at the copy machine? Who done it? Some left-wing law clerk. Angry at the direction the court is going. I think this was leaked by a liberal law clerk who is trying to change the outcome of the case. A lot of people are saying this may have leaked from uh, Justice Sotomayor clerk. If it was a conservative, it might be someone who wants to keep all the five judges that are on the side of Alito's opinion in their box there. Yes, it was a left-wing Antifa law clerk trying to sabotage the court. Or it was a right-wing MAGA head trying to lock the decision in place. Or maybe it was the butler. It's always the butler. <laughs> Get ready to hear a lot about Colonel Gail A. Curley, the 11th Marshal of the United States Supreme Court. Usually, her role is largely ceremonial. It's her voice you hear saying, oh yay, oh yay, oh yay, before the start of every public meeting of the court. She's been tasked with leading the investigation to find the leaker and restore some measure of integrity to a court that has been tarnished even before the leak with accusations of politization and bowing to public pressure. More than most of the federal government, the Supreme Court operates in almost total secrecy, a tradition that helps the court maintain a sense of being above the contentious political wars that so often consume the executive and legislative branches. So who leaked the decision? If you were to believe the GOP, it was a liberal law clerk who was trying to change the outcome of the case. This theory, trafficked on Sean Hannity by the credibility challenged Alan Dershowitz, has since become gospel on the right. But there's not one iota of proof beyond the biases of folks who regularly lie like they fucking breathe on Fox News. Jen Psaki's kind of like parsing her words, mincing her words about what this is, this intimidation campaign, which I'm calling terroristic because I think it is, against the justices. Do they have adequate security dovetailing from what Mike just said? 
Oh, I sure hope so. I mean, I, I, I agree. I think this is one of the most concerning things about this leak. Not only does it strike a blow at the trust inherent in the, in the internal workings of the court, but this is a real act of threat against the justices themselves. I know that they are ramping up security, but as this is why I think, and a lot of us have said, let's let's just issue this opinion right. uh, quickly. I, I think it's no surprise, though. I mean, Jen Psaki, remember, used to work for Demand Justice. This is like the most radical left-wing dark money group out there. These are the people who were praising the leaker, saying we need more court leaks. This is the people who have a board member who says the Constitution's trash and should be scrapped. They want to have more justices yesterday, they said in the court. They're trying to use this to kind of pack the court. So even if they can't switch this decision now, or some have said even let's pack the court before the end of the term. Oh my goodness. It is it is no holds barred. It's any means justify the end here and that's what's uh, what's so disturbing so let's take a look though at the prevailing theories so theory number one it was a leak from the right to stop kavanaugh from defecting you see according to politico a clean majority of four conservative justices voted with alito following december's oral arguments in the dobbs case with the three liberal justices working on dissenting opinions, that leaves Roberts' position unknown, though it is believed he is trying to find something like a compromise that doesn't totally destroy Roe. To stop Brett Kavanaugh from swinging and joining Roberts in a compromised decision written by Roberts, the leak was meant to pressure him into holding his position and avoid the ire of becoming the Republican-appointed Catholic justice who upheld the right to an abortion. Judge, it is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. By it, I mean Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Been reaffirmed many times. Casey is precedent on precedent, which itself is an important factor. And now theory number two. It's designed to make the ruling as drastic as possible. Written in February, Alito's draft opinion does not waver, describing Roe as egregiously wrong from the start and stating that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. Some legal scholars and former court clerks have suggested that releasing the opinion, whether or not it represents a more recent draft held by Alito, could serve as a method to keep conservative justices in line in case Roberts makes a push for a more moderate decision. Is Roe a super precedent? How would you define super precedent? And I'm answering a lot of questions about Roe, which I think indicates that Roe doesn't fall in that category. And scholars across the spectrum say that doesn't mean that Roe should be overruled. But descriptively, it does mean that it's a case, not a case that everyone has accepted and doesn't call for its overruling. As a judge, it is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. By it, I mean Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Okay, how about theory number three? It's a leak from the left to influence Roberts. According to a source familiar with the deliberations who spoke to CNN, Roberts does not want to overturn Roe entirely, placing him most likely in the minority with the three liberal justices. However, in the December oral arguments for Dobbs, Roberts signaled that he would like to gut Roe's protections without entirely revoking the constitutional right to abortion. 
By revealing the severe nature of the opinion as it stood in February, a liberal justice or their clerk could be attempting to pressure Roberts into pushing more forcefully for a decision that does not set up states to establish absolute abortion bans. Okay, how about theory number four? It was Roberts. No fucking way, but... Roberts would have some clear motivation to release the draft as stated above. He is also an institutionalist who described the leak as a singular and egregious breach of the exemplary and important tradition of respecting the confidentiality of the judicial process. The prospect of the Chief Justice leaking a draft opinion only to launch an investigation into himself also seems highly unlikely, however eroded the norms of the court may be. And now theory number five. It was Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. I mean, it wasn't, but according to Newsmax, <laughs> it fucking was. During his show Tuesday, the idiotic Grant Stinchfield offering no evidence at all, zeroed in on Jackson, who is to become the first black woman to sit on the Supreme Court. There's just one problem. Jackson, though confirmed by the Senate, won't be sworn in as a sitting justice until the summer, after another member of the court, Justice Stephen G. Breyer, officially retires. She has no access to the Supreme Court's computer network, which houses such documents. Nevertheless, she would be my first suspect when it comes to the leak, Stinchfield told viewers, because Katanji Brown Jackson is a radical left-wing activist. I find it suspect that the first leak coming out of the Supreme Court in history comes shortly after Judge Jackson is confirmed. She would be my first suspect when it comes to the leak. And my This tracks on two levels. The right is desperate to use this moment to distract from the actual substance of the ruling and making Justice Jackson the culprit allows these assholes to engage in their second favorite activity, blowing their racist dog whistle. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is none other than Sam Donaldson, the legendary, now retired newsman, spent over five decades in front of the cameras, a role he has made synonymous with asking hard questions and speaking truth to power. Joining ABC News in 1967 as a Capitol Hill correspondent, Donaldson covered such major events as the Vietnam War. Watergate, the House Judiciary Committee impeachment investigation in 1974, and the Gulf War in 1991. The ABC News veteran reported on every national political convention since 1964, with the exception of the 1992 Republican convention in Houston. He reported on the presidential campaigns of Barry Goldwater, Eugene McCarthy, Hubert Humphrey, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and Michael Dukakis. He later served as chief White House correspondent for President Carter, Reagan, and Clinton. In 1992, while covering the war in Yugoslavia, Donaldson was traveling in a convoy that came under sniper fire. His producer, David Kaplan, was killed and others badly wounded. Donaldson later reported his death on air, stating, and I'm going to quote now, I wish we had never gone and I wish we had never wanted to come and do this story. But I must tell you, 
that that's what reporters do around the world in the troubled spots where fighting goes on, where people kill each other. You're always going to find brave reporters and cameramen and photographers and producers and the people who make these stories happen. And you know what? How about some highlights from his career, which include Donaldson tracked down Nazi war criminal Eric Priebke in Bariloche, Argentina. Priebke was extradited to Italy and tried for his crimes. Donaldson investigated the criminal history of Richard Allen Davis, the alleged kidnapper and murderer of Polly Kloss, and how the Davis case fell through the cracks of the California criminal justice system. Donaldson co-anchored a special edition of Primetime Live with Judd Rose in which the two men shared their personal experiences with cancer, conducted an exclusive interview with Dick Morris, President Clinton's former political advisor, and interviewed Sergeant Major Brenda L. Hoster, who accused the U.S. Army's highest-ranking enlisted soldier of sexual assault. Donaldson also updated his report on the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., posing the theory that the killing was a conspiracy possibly involving the United States government. Donaldson, along with Diane Sawyer, co-anchored an episode of Primetime Live dedicated to the mystery of TWA Flight 800. In the episode, Donaldson interviewed James Colstrom, head of the FBI in New York, Secretary of the Navy John Dalton, and Bernard Loeb, the NTSB chief investigator who told Primetime he believed the crash could have been prevented and could happen again. He joins me today on Mea Culpa amidst an incredible moment in American politics. In a remarkable week, we have witnessed the leak of devastating Supreme Court decision to roll back the landmark Roe versus Wade. In addition, we are just weeks away from the start of the January 6th hearings, which will begin to connect the dots for the American people on the depth of criminality and treachery conducted by Donald Trump and his followers. In the middle of all of this is a vast right-wing media apparatus denying it all. Donaldson is here to help me tear down the artifice around today's news and get at the truth beneath the lie, but only on mea culpa. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Sam, first of all, I'm honored to have Sam Donaldson on mea culpa, just so you know. But I want to start by asking you a pretty poignant question. On Monday, Politico printed a draft of the opinion from Justice Samuel Alito that would, in essence, overturn Roe versus Wade. Now, while the news itself has created a firestorm, it's really the leak itself that I'm interested in discussing as it's so unprecedented and threatens to further undermine public faith in the Supreme Court and further politicize the court. Now, Chief Justice John Roberts has appointed the marshal of the court to investigate the leak, which he calls singular and egregious. Now, that said, the leak has also galvanized those who fear loss of access to abortions and support a woman's right to choose. Now, in that sense, the leak has informed Americans of the potential for what they considered a basic right to be taken away from them. How do you view the leak? Well, you and Mitch McConnell agree. It's the leak we should be talking about, but I understand why you're doing it. And by the way, Michael, I'm pleased that you asked me to be on your program. Uh, it's a fool's errand, and I don't mean that in a dismissive way of the Supreme Court or an effort to find the leak, but you're not going to find it. Or if you find it, you're not going to stop it. 
leaking is what everybody does. If you and I got into a room with a third person and we all swore each other to secrecy, within 24 hours, the essence of what we had to say would be public. Now, why is that? Because we're all people who want to tell the news. We're all people who want to be in the know. I'm not certain. I'm not a great sociologist. But I'll tell you this. Richard Nixon tried to stop leaks. Lyndon Johnson tried to stop leaks. Every president that I've known bridles at leaks. And I can understand that. I mean, you don't want these things public until you're ready to put your own spin on it. But you can't stop it. It's going to continue to happen. Michael, I don't know who leaked this. I don't know if they'll ever find out. I think we all suspect it was the liberals in the court who leaked it. But it could not have been that. It could have been something else. It could have been some janitor that somehow got hold of information. But I'm just telling you, information is going to leak into the public, certainly about something like this, and then we'll take the consequences. Yeah, you know, look, we could make the hypothesis that it was Samuel Alito himself that leaked it. He wanted to see what the reaction would be. He wanted to gauge what the country was going to do, what other justices were going to do. I mean, we never know, because this is such an important issue. It's an issue that has been fought now, you know, basically in every election over the course of the last 50 years. I mean, in fact, CNN, um, her She's got a very cool name, Ariane de Vogue, you know, put out a story on uh, CNN, which I thought was extremely appropriate. Basically, you know, talking about December's oral arguments that's post the opinion coming out, you know, really looks grim for progressives. Many still held out hope when the justices retreated to their ornate conference room and gathered around the table to cast an initial tally that they would stop short of voting to overrule the decision from half a century ago. And I think it's, I, I think I agree with you. I mean, Trump used to go crazy when he used to scream, we have to find out who the leakers are. The leakers, leakers, right? I mean, every single campaign, every single president, as you rightfully stated, probably since George Washington, there were leakers that were making, you know, relationships or have relationships with the press that had their distinct point of view and wanted to get it out first. That's right. Now, about what the court does, maybe it was Samuel Alito but, I, Alito, but I don't think so. I think it was someone who wanted to energize the Democratic base. Get up off your hind knees. I mean, you've been sitting there with your busy lives. You're not paying attention, most of you, like you and me and lots of people who say this is our life with what's going on politically. Uh, they know the name Donald J. Trump and all of that but they're running their lives and their families. But I believe when push comes to shove, they're going to decide they want to keep this country basically the land of opportunity for everyone who's willing to be an honest citizen here, uh, to make a living, to rise if they can, and with the freedoms that, uh, that we have. Now, when it comes to the court, Donald J. Trump, a man you know far better than I do, although I've known him for 45 years, and I interviewed him once in 1990, and I got onto the fact that here was a con man that was par excellence. He is a great communicator. Well, at least to certain segments of our population who like the vulgarity, who like the laying on of hands to other people and condemning them mightily to their face and all of that. So that it gives them license to give vent to their own deep-seated animosities and prejudices and what have you. And he did this. 
And he promised when he was elected president, he would nominate people to the Supreme Court to overturn Roe Wade. He made that as a verbal promise. Well, he did, in my view. You see those five people up there? Well, Alito and Thomas, they were there. But the other three are in lockstep, and they are going to try to repeal Roe Wade. And when I say try, there's very little that can be done to stop the court. But what happens after that, and whether the court's order is obeyed as it should be, as we should, uh, I'm not certain. Yeah, look, so yes, it's true. I've probably spent more time one-on-one with Donald than anyone, probably even including Melania, because they basically live separate lives. Donald Trump doesn't care. Not one iota about Roe v. Wade. He doesn't care about um, abortion rights. It's just, it doesn't affect him, so he doesn't care about it. Very much as, you know, as he didn't care when there was a massive hurricane or typhoon that touched down in a blue state, he didn't care because they didn't vote for me, right? And so he doesn't seem to understand that America is one country and all Americans, regardless of what uh, political party that you're affiliated with, he just doesn't care. And the same thing holds true for this. So people are saying, well, then why? Why did he pick three individuals who we all knew exactly the way that they would vote on this issue? And the answer is very straightforward. It's very simple. It's because he wanted to continue to appeal to the evangelicals. That's why when he became um, the president-elect that he was given from, I believe it was the Heritage Foundation or the Federalist Society, it was one of those two, a complete list, not just for the Supreme Court, but for all the federal courts throughout the country, names of people that they would like to see, people that are interested in the same ideology that they have. But Donald doesn't care. And something that I get constantly on my Twitter, and I want to use this, I want to use my platform here in order to set the record really straight here. I say this not because I have uh, paid for abortions for Donald uh, and so on. That's not true. I never have ever paid for an abortion for Donald, all right, uh, or anyone for that matter. And in fact, I'll go one step even further. I'm not even aware that Donald ever paid or ever impregnated a woman where an abortion was had. I'm not aware of any of that. Remember, I started working for him in 2007. I mean, he was at that time, you know, what, 65, 66, something like that. Um, I don't, I have no knowledge whatsoever. So I really want to put to rest all of these Twitter folks that want to continuously ask me the question, how many abortions for Donald did you pay? And the answer is zero. All right. There is zero there, but you paid for hush money for at least two women that we know of that you no, now say. No. Yes, you did. Oh, Sam, Sam, I got to correct you on that one. Yes, okay. I paid hush money for Stormy Daniels. I did not pay hush money for Karen okay. McDougal. That was paid for by David Pecker. I had so little to do with it other than pleading guilty because that's what the Southern District of New York demanded or they were finally an 85-page indictment against me that was going to include my wife. And I actually really love my wife, and I will never put her or my family in harm's way. 
And so I manned up and I listened and I accepted a plea where I had nothing to do. I looked over a deal that the National Enquirer's David Pecker did. And David Pecker paid the 150. I'm glad you corrected the record. I'm glad you corrected me. Obviously, I got that from the pleading that you made to this charge and included this Karen Madhu. But let's get it straight. That's what the news business that I was connected with, not that I was so great, but the reporters that I knew and the news people that I knew wanted to get it straight, wanted to get it right. And when we made a mistake, we tried to correct the record, although the correction never caught up with the original as have, having, having you having the experience now with the original misstatement. Uh, yeah, Trump, you say Trump, Trump cares about himself. That's all he cares about. There's a lot of speculation, and I'm not asking you to weigh in, of whether he would throw his own children under the bus if necessary. And I have weighed in on that. And I said, first and foremost, the first one he would throw under the bus would be Don Jr. And I know that simply because he was looking to do that when we had the issue of Trump Soho. And so he said to me, if it's either Don or Ivanka, let it be Don. He could handle prison. He likes these kind of rough and tough guys. Second would be Ivanka. A second would be Eric Trump, right? Followed then by Ivanka, all right? Then followed by Melania before he would allow himself to end up going to prison. Because exactly right, Sam, exactly right. Donald cares about one person and one person only, and that's himself. And anything he could do to benefit himself at the expense of others, he's willing to do. What kind of twisted, sad individual, sick individual was created? And I don't want to spend your time or perhaps mine going back over Fred Trump and this, that, and the other. You know, again, you know the history, and I just have a touch of it. But here we have created something which didn't come from his mother's womb, but pure, normal. Uh, maybe the genes were there for something, but I'm, again, I'm not a scientist, although I believe in science when it comes to vaccinations and the rest. <laughs> but we've created this, and we've helped create the people who follow him slavishly, as if he were the Pied Piper of Hamlin, not bearing children now right out of the town, but bearing at least one-third or perhaps more of our population that without him wouldn't have the release to be what was sitting there. And why were they sitting there, Michael? I think because if it's jobs was the problem, if it's income is the problem, if it's squeezing the middle class, which we certainly have been doing for the last several decades, people are making $400,000 a year as CEOs with their allowances and with their stock options and all of that, while the guy on the assembly line making a little more but not kept up. Well, that's our responsibility, those of us lucky enough. But I wasn't paying much attention to that. I was following stories and doing it as a reporter and just pleased the punch that I was able to make when I came to Washington, $10,000 a year. That was my goal. I achieved it. But we helped create a middle class that felt squeezed and felt put upon. And when this man came along and said, ha, I'm your savior. They didn't realize he meant just for me, and they follow him to this very day. Yeah, it's, and it's, re it's really scary, you know. But, you know, going back to your original thought in terms of who leaked it, uh, possibly, and why, you know, it, it's not out of the question. And again, um, DeVogue talks about this in um, her article. 
that maybe the goal was to lure one other conservative justice to the position, thereby Roe would end up still being gutted, but there would still be something left. Because if you look at Alito's opinion, basically it complete it it overturns Roe v. Wade and Casey completely. So if they're able to turn just one other conservative justice, maybe it will go back to the 15-week or um, some other, you know, agreed upon number so therefore it wouldn't be completely gutted it would just or destroyed it would just be gutted well as i i haven't read the full decision i tried to but i've looked at the notes that uh, people who have the analysis in their mind have and quite clearly alito has tried to create a situation where it goes back to the states and the state legislatures then vote and we uh, support the will of the people, right? And in many states we know, and I don't have the figure, you perhaps have it in mind, they've already voted plenty of anti-abortion legislation just waiting to be cooked, waiting to be put on the, on the, on the, on the cooker. And, and by that, they will eliminate Roe Wade. No, Roe Wade is gone, but they'll eliminate the intent of Roe Wade, which is to make it possible for women who do not want to carry uh, a child from rapist or from any any uh, reason to term. A woman's body is her own up to a certain point because I think 70% of Americans support the idea of abortion within some limits. A few all the way. Uh, but right. say, no, all right, up to a certain point. Uh, Roe wanted to say there were three trimesters, but Casey said there can't be an undue burden on a woman, which left it up in the air about how long. And most people think if they want, and I am one of them, some limitation at the point when the fetus becomes viable, that is, could live outside of the mother's womb. We have a different situation, but that's many, many weeks past the point where current legislatures, Texas, I give you the Lone Star State, you may have it, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Texas and other states would restrict it. Mississippi, of course, is the case to uh, 15 weeks, less perhaps. And so Rose gone. And then over the country, women who don't live in a state that says it's okay in this state are deprived of it. These are poor women. Hey, I can afford, well, my wife and I are of a certain age. Don't worry, <laughs> there's not going to be a pregnancy in our family. But I can afford air here. Not just bus fare, if she needs or I need to go someplace. But lots of women can't, lots of families can't. And it deprives them of a right. Alito says it's not in the Constitution. He's right. Heard abortion or, or the birth is not in the Constitution. But our forefathers were smart enough to give us a framework, for instance, right. a no cruel and unusual punishment, but they don't define it. What is cruel and unusual punishment? Well, it was a certain thing in their day, it's a certain thing today. And with 70% of the American public wanting some ability for women to have an abortion, to be deprived of it by this court because they can't find it any more than in Roe they found privacy in the document that we have as our constitution. That's a living document for today to say it was yesterday document is wrong. 
and it would destroy the country if we follow that path. Yes, it's a living and breathing document. It is ever growing. And that's the whole point of the amendments. And it's the whole point of the Supreme Court and so on. And I totally agree with Nancy Northup, uh, who's the president for the Center for Reproductive Rights, when she turned around and she said, if in fact that Alito's opinion becomes law, it will represent the most damaging setback to the rights of women in the history of our country. And I really do hope that enough people are listening and forwarding you know, our conversation now because we're just going backwards. I mean, we're going backwards as a country. We're going backwards, uh, whether it's civil rights, whether it's women's rights, whether it'll be gay rights. I mean, it's, it's absolutely wrong. And there's not much more that I or anybody else, you know, can say. But I want to move on for a second, Sam, and ask you the following. Do you see this driving, you know, do you see this issue driving out um, voters in the midterm elections and creating the groundswell that Democrats are seeking to get their base to the polls? Do you think that this will have some sort of an effect because... With all due respect, and I'm a Democrat. I've been, despite what people think, I've been a Democrat my whole life. In fact, in 1987, I worked for Congressman Joe Moakley of Massachusetts while I was attending American University. Um, the Democrats have always been poor in terms of getting that message out. Republicans are much better. Look at look, look at the January 6th insurrection. It, do you think that this could be a driving force in order to get voters out? And I'm particularly more interested as well in women voters as well as Republican women voters out. I think it can, but to what extent, I'm not certain. At the moment, before we got this leaked document, before people understood this court is going to try to obviate Roe Wade, Joe Biden was underwater. The Democratic Party was confused, as, as always, you know, I'm no member of a political party, I'm a Democrat, uh, a great Spain. Uh, and the left was fighting the center rather than being mm -hmm. coalesced. And Biden was underwater. And there's no time between now and uh, November, no matter what the Fed does today, no matter how it tries to get a hold on inflation, to get the economy back where people say, yeah, hey, that's great. I'm, I'm doing very well. Uh, well, the rich are doing very well. But I mean the people of voters. But and Ukraine, he's handled it very well in my estimation. But this crazy man, who also is a damaged child in the Kremlin, uh, with his view of Tsarist Russia back again, or at least Stalin's Russia, uh, what's going to happen there is not going to change it either. But this will have an impact. People are uh, a few hundred coalesced around the court. Thousands are going to come to Washington. Thousands. Mm -hmm. And it will particularly get women and their supporters, and I am one of them, and you are one of them, and lots of men are one of them, uh, to do push back against this decision. But I think the die is cast. I don't see, as Alito says, not thinking it's going to be uh, leaked. Well, no matter what happens after we make this decision public, uh, the court will go on, and I'm not certain, because that also is an issue. The court has no way to enforce its decisions. It has no marshal systems. It can't use the military and all of that. We obey the Supreme Court and other courts because we believe in the justice system, and we accept the fact 
whether we like the decision or not, that that is our system and we're going to be good citizens. But this court could destroy a lot of that feeling. I think Chief Justice is correct in, in worrying about it, don't you? I do. I absolutely do. And I'll tell you, I was watching television and I saw they were interviewing a whole slew of women uh, post the leakage of the um, Alito opinion. And I, and I was astonished when one of the women turned around and stated that she's pleased and grateful at the Supreme Court in making a decision that upholds the law and protects the sanctity of life. And I often wonder if this woman was ever in the situation or if her daughter or her sister or a female cousin or what have you was ever in that situation, especially when it was a negative situation, whether she would feel the exact same way. And then there was another woman who jumped up and she was like, personally, I don't believe in abortion, but I think people should have a right to choose. That's really what this is all about. But the more I sat and the more I listened to the conversations and the statements made by these various different women, um, um, and their in their various different positions, I started thinking, well, what about the day after pill, right? Is that now going to become a pill of death? Is that where now that anybody that takes it or a pharmacist that sells it or the manufacturer could go to jail simply because they sold the pill that is now, as the first woman would say, the sanctity of life because it terminates the pregnancy? Well... What's going on here? The, the woman who's a, who believes that her God says that this is murder in any, to any, you can't reason with someone and their religious beliefs. If they hold it convincingly, that's okay for them, I suppose, but it's not okay for the country. To impose their will on the country, since they're not the majority, uh, is wrong. That's not what our democracy is all about. But let me tell you what, is clearly at the bottom of this, and I know you and your, your viewers know it. There is a large segment of our country, fortunately, I believe a minority, which wants to pull us back to a time when this country was white and Christian. And who are these other people anyway? What are they doing here? Uh, well, if they keep to their place, let me tell you the statistic. I can't prove this, but they're said to be 8 billion people in the world today. I don't know how they counted it, Michael, but there they are. Of the 8 billion, 11.1% are white. Now, if you think or anyone thinks that you can build a moat around any country, the United States, particularly because of our power and our prestige and our ability to help guide the planet, we can build a wall. They're, they're, it's suicidal. It's nuts. I'm out of here. I'm 88. I'm not. I'm going to be gone. And we're going to settle this, perhaps, because it's not going to be one election. I think 2024 is the nut cutter, but it may be after that. This country is so divided to get well, back to it. Yeah, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that Donald Trump could build that wall around the world. There's no doubt, and he could do it better and cheaper than anybody else. And I'm going to tell you one other fact here. Mexico is going to pay for it, right? And you have all of these fools that sit there and listen to this, this horse shit. There's no other way to describe it. That what comes out of his mouth is pure and other bullshit. And the part about media, which you have 
been involved with for just so long and, and have done so well. Media today is bombarded, not by a daily occurrence, right? Or, you know, a uh, twice a day or four times a day occurrence. It's by the second. And the information is moving so quickly that no one could write quickly or, you know, quick enough in order to cover that. And then the problem is, by the time they finally get that article out, there's something else also enormous that's also taking up your time. And so you never go back to the original, even if it's in error. And that's what Donald Trump capitalizes on. It's misinformation, disinformation, and now there's a third term that people use, malinformation. And you were right when you said that he is the master of it. He is the world's greatest con man. But, you know, let me ask you this then. In June... The January 6th committee will finally, and I really mean this, finally begin the public hearings. The expectation is that the revelations will be quite damning towards those who are involved and hopefully will have the capacity to change the hearts and minds of those who believe what happened was not a big deal. The problem, though, is that half of the electorate gets their news from right-wing websites and the other fake news sources that dish out this industrial quantities of propaganda. What they hear will be far different truth than what we're all going to be hearing. Now, the result is that the people who desperately need to hear the truth will continue to be spoon-fed lies and, again, this nonsensical propaganda. If you would... Discuss with me if you believe that there's any way possible to repair the deep divide in our nation as long as we have these kinds of bad actors dishing out this hokum. I don't have an immediate solution. Uh, I often ask that question. I wish I could give you a formula. I wish I could say you do this, that, and the other thing, but not the, the third thing, and it's okay. It's not okay because the people you're talking about do not have access to or wish to have access to uh, a press, a uh, telecommunication system that tries to seek the facts, check them out and display them without bias so that you can use the information for your own purposes and you can make good judgments for your life. They're not interested in that. They're interested in following Trump. I sometimes think, and I hope I'm wrong, it sounds very cynical, we need the actuarial tables to work on the people that are incorrigible, that cannot be retrieved. And children, many of them can be, as the children of the old South have so often given way from their great-great-grandfather's need for slave quarters. And they're among people who see today and, and the desire that all people, regardless of the color of their skin or their uh, way of looking at God, or not, uh, can exist in the country. I just don't think we can peel off a number of people when the January 6th report comes out, which I hope will have evidence. I don't want to just hear Jamie Rashkin tell me, hey, we found this, that, and the other, or any of the people on the committee. I want to see the evidence that they can present to us, and we can check the evidence ourselves often. But the people you and I are worrying about that we feel are a threat to the country, they're not going to know it. They have the internet. Before the internet, they didn't have it. They had their local newspaper, they had the national newspapers on both sides, and they had the three national networks. There was no ability for anyone to say, hey, 
Hillary Clinton is running a child pedophile in, in the basement of a pizza shop in Washington, D.C. And a poor guy came with his rifle. He believed that. Or Alex Jones. Yes, indeed. Those kids were killed in uh, Connecticut. That was a false flag. That was government operation. He's paying through the nose for it. I think he ought to go to jail, of course, after a fair trial. But the point is, they follow the web. They follow anything they can find there. And they give their own opinions and magnify it. And their opinions are based on ignorance rather than facts. I'll argue with you any day, Michael, what, what should our tax rate be? Should it be higher? Should it be lower? Under who should pay? There are lots of arguments, economists, who talk about that, and that's fair game. But when the First Amendment is abused, and there's the question now of whether more safeguards against vile speech, wrong speech, and the First Amendment is there to protect wrong speech. You have a right to be wrong. But do you have a right to be wrong in a sense that someone else's child commits suicide? because the way you're wrong, because the body politic is damaged beyond repair because the way you and others are wrong. I'm not sure the constitution that Mr. Olito cares so much about is a document for suicide for this country. I'm not sure the first amendment with its five freedoms says, these freedoms are for everyone on religion, on, on redress of grievances to officials, of right to congregate and associate of the press and all of that. I'm not sure the founding fathers meant, and even if you can destroy what we've created by using these freedoms, we think that's fine. I don't think it's fine, and I don't think it would either. Look, as somebody who had their First Amendment rights violated by my country, by Donald Trump, by Bill Barr, when I was unconstitutionally remanded back to prison because I wanted to put out my, my book, Disloyal, I have an issue with the way that the entire First Amendment, as per you know, your comment, you know, it gets handled. So first of all, the biggest problem that we have is this massive volume and the ferocity of the volume of the misinformation that's coming out. And... Alex Jones, as far as I'm concerned, he could say whatever he wants. I, I don't like the case against Alex Jones. If he wants to be a fool, you can't stop someone, as my grandma used to always say, you know, you can't argue with stupid. The problem is what he's doing, what Hannity's doing, what Fox News, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingraham are doing, they're just playing to their, to their sector so that they could continue to earn their 25, 30, 35 million dollar salaries. So do I think that they believe most, if not all of the nonsense that they're spewing, you know, that they're spouting? The answer is no, I don't believe. I don't believe that they believe it. But I believe it. they, they know it's good for their pocket so that they're going to continue to make these ridiculous and these controversial, these foolish, you know, statements on and on because it plays well to their constituents. And that's all that they care about. It's all self-motivated. It's the same way that Donald ended up making his way to the White House because he brought in anger that hadn't been seen in a long time against politicians, against the establishment, like Hillary Clinton. And so 
I want to just move for a quick second and talk about the, you know, when you stated Jamie Raskin, who I have the utmost of respect for. I think he's a brilliant guy, and I do believe he will handle this January 6th committee really professionally. The problem is I also said the same thing about Robert Mueller. And I had a chance to meet with his team on many, many occasions. I mean, I'm the second most referenced person in the Mueller report. But what did the Mueller report ultimately show? What did it ultimately do? Not one person was held accountable for anything. He just kicked, Robert Mueller kicked it off to Congress and said, if you want, you should take this document, pull out whatever parts you want and turn it over to DOJ. They did nothing. Well, I knew him when he was the FBI chief. He was alert. He was strong. Uh, he had the right instincts. He didn't like the press. But then who does? I mean, that's okay. Uh, but something happened to him. When he uh, announced that he needed his aide to be with him and sworn, I thought, uh-oh, because I hadn't seen him in years. And sure enough, if you watched him, yeah, he, too, he too has got a problem. And I'm sorry about it when I say a problem. Again, I emphasize I'm 88 and it's going. Uh, you've seen me fumble quite frequently in trying to find a name or trying to find a word in this. And he had reached that point because clearly he had the evidence there and said to Congress, as you say, well, here, take it and do something with it. He should have recommended charges. He should have recommended to the Justice Department that take this evidence and take it to court. And he didn't do it. And it was a failure on his part, I understand. But I regret it because he served honorably and well for so many years of this country. Yeah, I think I don't think that cognitively he's as bad as you may believe. First of all, you're not bad at all. I think I haven't seen you stumble yet for a word, to be very honest with you. I hope, um, you know, I hope in a few years that I'm as sharp as you are. But I'll, my, my belief is he didn't want to be remembered in history as political. I think he was also instructed to constantly refer back to the document, which you, as you know, somebody who watched as I did, uh, he did almost on every single question. It was an absolutely terrible performance, if we'll call it that. And um, I think, like you, he should have himself referred it to the DOJ, at which point Bill Barr would have done nothing. And that then would have sparked another special counsel investigation into why Barr will not turn around and bring a DOJ action. But again, same thing happened with, Bill, with um, Alvin Bragg not too long ago here in the district attorney's office when he allowed the grand jury to um, be released. And why? Again, one day we'll finally get the answers you know, to all of this. But I want to ask you this. While the GOP is foisting the poison upon America, we must deal with the fact that close to 80 million Americans voted for this kind of political paradigm. Is it possible that tens of millions of voters want this kind of American autocracy? Or is there something else going on here that makes the kind of rhetoric and politics popular with a broad swath of the electorate? Yes, it is possible that the prejudices, that we all have prejudices, and the worst ones we try to keep suppressed because we know they're wrong, but they're there. Uh, but a lot of people now are free to exercise their prejudice. They don't want the Mexican rapists. And if you and I argue that it's one-tenth of one percent, maybe, 
have indulged in that crime who covered this country and the rest want to be good citizens, it's not going to make any difference. These people, I think, are incorrigible. I'm sorry to say it. Maybe you can peel off a few. But we, the majority of the country, as I say, many of our majority, they're paying no attention at the moment, not realizing the peril. Maybe women are now realizing the peril, even though their husbands and they had voted for Trump, but now are reconsidering it because they're coming home. Uh, it's going to make a difference, going back to your other question. I doubt it makes the full difference for 2022. That would be a miracle in politics, but miracles do happen. Uh, think of the people who have been president who were never given a chance until Trump didn't think he was going to be president. Am I not correct on election night? He didn't think he was going to win. Am I not correct? You are 100 percent correct. Not only did he not think that he was going to win, he never showed up uh, to the party, to election night uh, here at the city and uh, at the hotel. He never showed up until after they called the win. At which point in time, everybody had to gather together in order to write the speech. Now, had Hillary Clinton not gone, not gone into some sort of catatonic state for four to five hours, Donald would have been rifting some nonsense instead of having a prepared speech. I mean, the first thing that came out of his mouth after they called Donald Trump the winner of the election was, how do we get in touch with Clinton's campaign and offering pennies on the dollar for the fireworks that were in uh, the, the waters here in New York on the east side and the west side in order to blow them off on behalf of Donald. That's what he was worried about, blowing off fireworks, not coming up with a, with a speech. It, it, it's, the whole thing is just comical. And I've stated this so often, Sam, when we first started this campaign, it was never to be to win. It was supposed to be the greatest infomercial in the history of politics. This was all about building the brand, not just here domestically, but abroad, which is why I kept going with the Trump Tower Moscow project. That's what this whole thing was about. And all of a sudden he scratches his head, right? Not too hard because he doesn't want to ruin the quaff. And he's like, holy shit, I'm now the 45th president. I have nothing set up. I have none of the transition people in place other than, um, you know, Reince Priebus, who was known as Rancid Penis by everybody that worked with him. And this is, this is legitimately where, where he was at, where his head was at. So you are a thousand percent correct. He didn't want to be president. He said they wrote him a speech. I am paraphrasing. I used to remember the exact line when he complimented Hillary Clinton for the service, the great service to this country. And we are fortunate to have had her. And I'm thinking, ah, huh, a jailer? I mean, what is this? He read it. He read it. He didn't know what he was doing, but he didn't know he was doing the other side. Uh, yeah. He is a man that we could spend hours and you could teach a lot of people more about it. You've already called him out on what you say are his lies to the Attorney General of New York, the producer documents, say there are post-it notes there that, you've, that you know about, and you've shown us one, and you, in other senses, said his security of detail was in fact told by Trump to rough up those protesters, to stop them in 2015, because you were there. Uh, it's simply a question, you're not going to make these this 30% of the country or 35% believe it. They will take it. And let me tell you, taking up your time, I met a master on this, a man named Wilfred von Offen. I met him in Buenos Aires. 
He was a lieutenant in the SS, and he worked for Joseph Goebbels, who was the propaganda chief in Nazi Germany. And he said, this is the way we did it. You just tell the lie often enough. You insist on the lie. And at the same time, you prevent other methods of communication from reaching the public. And they won't believe the lie. They believe anything. And that's what we did. Well, that's what Trump has tried to do. And he's done it successfully with people that I know who, before Trump came along in the way he has now, were people I thought were just kind of abnormal. And, you know, we did, if we had differences, there was a difference of policy that was... I used to argue with George Will on television every Sunday morning on the David Brinkley show. And George and I disagreed on many, many things. We never called each other a bad name. We never indulged in shouting matches. We tried to argue the issues. That doesn't happen today in the no. United States, in the United States House. But today is two sides viciously looking at each other. And the Republican side wanting desperately, despite the fact that they are the minority in the country, as far as abortion goes, as far as vaccines go, go all the way down the line, they are going to try to insist on their way using a filibuster rule that's not in the Constitution. It's not. Justice Absolutely. It's not. Manufactured in the 1800s, meant to protect the minority. That's correct. Meant to stop an unbridled majority from running roughshod under your or my freedoms. And it was never used. When I came to the Congress in 1961 and covered the Senate, seldom would you see some filibuster. The great one was in 64, and I watched the Republican leader in the Senate, Everett McKinley Dirksen, give the last speech before the Southerners were broken. He quoted Victor Hugo by saying, nothing is as powerful as an idea whose time has come. And it took 67 votes. And Northern Democrats and Republicans gathered together to stop the Southern filibuster and eliminate the jury segregation in this country. But the Senate doesn't work anymore. What Biden should do, there is a way to carve out several things that need to be done. A voting bill, certainly. Uh, codify Roe Wade. The House has already passed right. twice. Um, and do it now. Don't be yep. timid. Wait. If you're a knife kite and you're in a big knife fight, bring a bigger knife. Don't sit there and say, oh, that's terrible. You're such bad people. No, stop. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this then, because the poll numbers for Democrats going into the midterm elections really look rather bleak to say, you know, exactly. Are you concerned as others are um, what it will mean for the GOP if they retake both the House and the Senate? Because we will effectively be handling, uh, I should say, handing all of these lunatics in the House Freedom Caucus, folks like Jim Jordan, an insane amount of power. In fact, Jim Jordan will ultimately become the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. I mean, that's just not normal. Because in normal years, I mean, this is just a fact of life for a sitting president, but this is not a normal election cycle. Would you discuss this with my listeners? Well, Jim Jordan now represents apparently the new Ohio. Ohio used to be the home mother of presidents and all of that because it was kind of in the middle. It was in the middle. It would go one way or the other way and usually be right as to which way it went as to who was going to be elected president. No more. J.D. Vance? Gosh, 
Here's a man who is hillbilly elegy that captivated us all by telling the problems that were unredressed. And he wanted to redress them until he discovered the way to his own fame and perhaps fortune was Donald J. Trump and all the mean things he'd said about Trump. And Trump said, well, yes, he said mean things about me, but it's like redemption. And when Trump went to Ohio, and you, you people, I think, watch you know this, uh, J.D. Vance was about fourth or fifth and pronounced him my boy, mispronouncing his name, not even getting his name right. Oh, Doc. Well, I used to do a blog, and you, for three years of the Trump presidency, and I gave it up. I'd write something, oh, listen to what he did yesterday. And by the time I wrote, wrote it, no, no, today he stopped it. And then when he wanted to call out the person who had leaked the matter that went to the Justice Department on the question of his phone call, uh, I was enough. I couldn't do it anymore. You just kind of give up, but we can't give up now. It's too critical. Yeah, but it's funny you, you bring that up. I saw the video of that where Trump, you know, calls uh, J.D. Vance and he's there to stump for him. And he calls him J.D. Mandel, who was the um, one of the other you know, people that were running for it. I mean, it's really kind of comical if you think about it. And this is the genius or as we like to say, you know, in Yiddish, the Talmud Chacham, right, that turns around and tells you how smart he is. You know, that there's no there's no one smarter on this planet than Donald because he has an uncle who's supposedly a an MIT genius. And by the way, I've never known who that uncle is, but I've heard about him a thousand times. But I want to bring one other thing up because I'm curious what you make of the modern GOP as a whole. Because there are certain defectors, um, and we had him on the show recently, like Stuart Stevens, who believes that the party should be destroyed. In essence, it should be burned down to the ground. Now, does the GOP as a political brand have any future beyond a home for extremists and white nationalists? It's like the Whigs. I mean, except for the name, the GOP today is not the one that I grew up in and, and uh, signed on to as a young man in New Mexico here. The fundamental things of the GOP, fiscal austerity and, and uh, prudence, rather, uh, strong on international relations after World War II, guided and helped uh, the country uh, tremendously. And again, internally, along with the Democrats, fought over policy issues, but came to a conclusion. Not everyone got what they wanted. And whoever lost, left $15 on the table so they have bus hair to get home. That country no longer exists and that party no longer exists. We have outliers now, right? Uh, Lynn Cheney, <laughs> the, uh, the former vice president's daughter, the former vice president, I never heard anything on the floor of the Senate other than compliments of each other. You know, they didn't like each other. So and here we have the former vice president on the floor of the Senate using the F word very loudly against this senior Democratic member of the Senate. What's happening there? What's happening to the party? I think that's correct. I think, unfortunately, maybe if they can keep the name, but they've got to reconstitute everything. And with their former with the national committee they have right now, it's nothing but a bunch of Trumpsters. It's, uh, it's all about Trumpism, though, Sam. 
It's all about Trumpism, what he showed to people like that who are willing to use that type of language while they're standing right on the floor of the people's house to denigrate another. That's Donald Trump. And when he would do it at the rallies, the audience would go crazy. I mean, they were loving it. And what did he know was that was going to bring for him? A front page headline, right? Donald Trump calls, you know, Joe Biden a stupid bastard. All right. That makes the headlines. Why? Because it's just so unusual. It's so fifth grade. Um, it's one thing. He knows, he knows his base. Yes. Remember when finally he said to one of his rallies, uh, I think we should have a vaccine. I think you should be vaccinated or worse to that effect. He got booed, not by everybody, but there were sufficient people who were amazed. I mean, they're Trump supporters and they think they know where he stands on everything. And he says something sensible like that. And they're angry at him. For they would love, but he points at the elite. I'm an elite. I was born during the middle of the depression on a cotton farm. We barely made it just like so many people barely made it in Southern New Mexico. I went to a land-grant college. Uh, I went in the Army for two and a half years on active duty, but we had a president in the mid-50s too dumb to get us into a war, so I didn't have to fight there. Although I went to Vietnam and watched it there. But uh, he didn't. I but Sam, he didn't. He's the exact opposite of you. He's the exact opposite of these sycophantic fools that follow him. He was born into substantial wealth. His father, for the time, was far richer than Donald was, all right, or Donald is. He's far richer, Fred Trump, and what he created was far bigger than what Donald created. And he didn't go to a land-grant school. He went, he went to Fordham, and Daddy bought him into University of Pennsylvania. So he's not, he's not the same as you. He's the exact opposite. He's a guy that, you know, was born on third base and thinks he hit a triple. That's just, that's just who he is, and he's managed to fool all of these fools into, as you rightfully called him, the Pied Piper of stupidity. But, you know, this makes me think for a second, because I want to go back for a moment to January 6th. It's a question I really wanted to ask you for a while now. What did you think when you watched the insurrection? Right, because how many times have you been in that building there in Washington? Countless, right? Did you ever think you'd see such a thing happen in this nation during your lifetime? Well, I was horrified, like everybody watching, I suppose. I was amazed. It never occurred to me that a lot of people, American citizens, most of them, obviously, would attack the capital of the United States. Were they not taught in school what it represented? Did they not know anything about our government and how we make our laws? Do they not know anything about the laws? Would it occur to them that by attacking this sacred building, they were not only breaking the law, they were breaking the covenant as Americans for our, with our government. So I thought, what? what? I've never seen anything like that. Now, you know, I lived through the assassination of John Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert Kennedy and others in the 60s. So by the time I was five and a half feet away from Hinckley Jr., when he shot Ronald Reagan and three other people outside the Washington Hill, I, I knew that. I, it was not a... It was horrible in a sense, but I didn't think, why? How could this happen? Of course it could happen. Now, we must protect all public buildings uh, in Michigan. Uh, the governor there. <laughs> governor Whitmer, yeah. 
What's going on in our country that people now think violence in the street, not just vulgarity, is the way to achieve what this minority believes, whether it knows what it's doing or not, is a different United States. We don't because want it's called, yeah, it's called copycat, Sam, it's called copycat syndrome. And that's what they're doing. They're copycatting their, you know, their Fuhrer, their leader, right? For some unknown reason, he has gotten into the mind of this 38% of the Republican Party. And he has taken hold of it. I mean, these, he is living rent-free in between these people's ears, in their minds, 24-7. And the saddest thing is this is not about education versus um, un- uh, uneducated. This is, this is really about him being able to get into certain individuals. I had a conversation the other day on the street with a friend of mine who is highly educated, um, Ivy League, and exceptionally wealthy former Goldman Sachs guy. And whatever Donald says, he, he holds to be true, everything. And I, I looked at him and I said, are you pulling my leg? I mean, seriously, are you, are you fooling with me right now? Because... There's at least 85,000 lies that fact checkers have proven Donald lied about just when he was, literally just when he was in office. Forget about afterwards. Nobody's really checking that because the number is so high. But virtually everything that came out of his mouth from telling Dr. Burks that we should be injecting ourselves, possibly you should look into it, inject yourself with chlorine. I hear from, I hear from some very well-known scientists that, you know, maybe some light therapy or, ble- or ble- uh, injecting bleach into your lungs could be helpful. Would you look into that? And I remember sitting there and watching it, and I'm saying to myself, holy crap. I mean, I've listened to this guy say some stupid things during the course of my tenure with him, but this had to be one of the top five. Well, you know, I believe in science. I I know Tony Fauci and others. I respect them. They've spent their entire lives in a discipline, studying, learning, uh, finding things that were wrong, making mistakes here and there, but going forward. And in short time, less than a year, two great vaccines, Moderna and BioNTech, a German firm, which distributed through Pfizer, it's often called Pfizer, but it's a biotech vaccine, helped save hundreds of thousands of lives. Unfortunately, we still have Africa, we still have Latin America, we still have many places in Asia, in the underdeveloped world that don't have the vaccines yet that work. And we need to help them get it not only for themselves because of the morality involved, but for ourselves. The only way to stamp out these variations, I'm told by the scientists, of the uh, uh, retrovirus is finally get the whole world pretty well vaccinated and it has no place to go. And yet here we have people in this country still, they'll let their children have a polio vaccine. They understand, but not these. What kind of mentality is that? But Sam, you know, as the hour now comes to an end, I have one last question for you. Now, look, you've been a staple of, you know, in American um, political arena as a former reporter. I mean, I I know that you started in uh, 1967 with ABC News, stayed I think, probably your entire life as a correspondent, a White House correspondent, you know, for so many years. my last question to you really goes to who you are and as the credentialed and revered 
um, man on television telling the news. So I want to talk to you briefly about Fox News's Tucker Carlson. All right, because he is, in my opinion, the exact opposite. You know, he is he is your doppelganger, but the negative one. In his capacity as a cable news personality, he's created a cult of personality that reflects the worst held beliefs of his audience. The New York Times Nick Confessor said of him, and I'm going to quote, Carlson failed in stops at CNN and MSNBC. When he got a chance to lead his own show at Fox News, Carlson and his team responded by paying very close attention to minute-by-minute viewer rating numbers to see what the audience wanted. And what did the audience want? Hostility to immigrants and minorities. And Carlson gave it to them. Now, in doing so, he has become a powerful voice on the far right. And I'm curious what you make of hosts like Tucker Carlson and the damage that they're doing to this country. But his father was an ambassador and a conservative. And I met Tucker Carlson before he'd found this avenue toward wealth, riches, and fame. Uh, he would give a speech. One day I was invited to a bunch of the conservatives, uh, all the regular people there, and uh, kind of normal, except in one spot, he talked about uh, the Latin vote, the uh, Mexican-American vote. And in the question and answer, we asked him, well, how does the Republican Party appeal more to them? And his answer was, oh, we don't have to do anything different. They'll come to us. And we thought, that's not the way you work from the standpoint of getting more audience. But he discovered this route. He discovered that Fox, Mr. Burdock, has a lot to answer for. And one of his sons, not both, obviously, uh, he discovered that Fox gave him a platform, and he too is a good communicator. I mean, if you like his style, once again, it is a style that releases any deep, bad thoughts that you might have as being unworthy to mention because of body politic and your next door neighbor might not like it. He'll say yes. And so he, for Vladimir Putin, why are we in Ukraine? He makes it clear we shouldn't be helping Ukraine. I guess he's saying we should be helping Putin because he can sell that to this particular audience. We have 30 to 35 percent of Americans who are doing everything that we talk about that thinks bad. No vaccines. Uh, they're against uh, any reasonable laws. They're for violence. I mean, I can go down a whole list. They're the same people. It's not that there are some people that don't like the vaccines, but hey, they're fine over here. These people have a different concept of life, of humanity, and many of them profess to be Christians. Have they ever read the Sermon on the Mount? Judge not that you be not judge. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Go on down. If every one who professes to be a Christian does everything it can, and we're just human, to act like the admonition that Jesus apparently gave the people who were listening to that sermon, what a great country we'd have from the standpoint of getting along and helping each other. But they right. don't. And he's making money. He's trying, hey, he's going to run for office someday. Hey, if Trump doesn't run, what about Tucker Carlson, J.D. Vance? What about any of these people in 2024? Not just, uh, you know, the people at the moment, the governor of Florida, 
DeSantis, who's the warring against LGBTQ. <laughs> That's the way to do it, right? It's not yeah. the way to do it. We have to protect minorities. We have to protect people's right and freedom to love who they want to love. We have to do things that are clearly what Martin Luther King meant when he said the great arc of history is toward justice and freedom. And we have to protect what this country has always strived to do, not always successfully. And lots of people have been hurt on the way that shouldn't have been. That's true. But our sine wave is with little dips up and we have to keep it that way. And if it goes down, the greatest democracy this world has ever known will perish and it will be a dark night across the globe, I'm afraid. Well, well, let's not forget we need to get Trump to get up there and to talk about Corinthians 2 again because it's the whole ball of wax, folks. It's the whole, it's the whole thing. It's the whole ball of wax. But I will just want to say one last thing. You may remember when Trump turned around and said, and, and I believe Tucker Carlson is parroting Donald with the nonsense when he said that Hispanics, Mexicans, so on, that they're too stupid to vote for him. And that's why um, that they're not even going to try to get them uh, on the Republican side. So, Sam, let me again thank you for joining me today. I'm honored. It's great to see you. It's great to speak with you. It's great to get uh, this your insight because nobody has your insight. So I just want to thank you for joining me today on Maya Culpa, and I hope to see you again very, very soon. I'm pleased to have been here, and I must, to me, you are the John Dean of the present moment. Well, I thank you. I'm honored for that, too. Thank you, Sam. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Appreciate it. And now for today's Maya Culpa. In speaking with Sam Donaldson, I am reminded of what it was like before cable news came to dominate the airways. Newsmen and women reported the news, they asked questions to people in power and reported the answers with a measure of objectivity. News was not propaganda, it existed as a public good in many ways. That's not to say they didn't chase scandal and wrongdoing, of course they did. If it bleeds, it leads, so goes the saying. But what they didn't do was favor one side over the other. Both parties were treated with equal skepticism and raked over the coals. Nowadays, the truth is this opaque, smoky concept. It only exists in the eye of the beholder. Over the next few weeks and months, this nation faces a test of its own conviction and moral courage. We will be presented with the truth of what happened on January 6th and the possibility that Donald Trump and others committed grievance, criminal acts. Most of us already know this is true, but the public hearings aim to make the case to the American people about why this matters and why they should care. Yes, prosecuting Trump will likely rip open a fresh wound that will force this country to bleed all over again. But if we don't do it, if we don't summon the moral courage to go to the distance and hold our leaders accountable, we will have lost American democracy for a generation. A lot of this will be up to the media to shine a spotlight on those who need to be held accountable, and that includes our own Justice Department. It's now or never, folks, and thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, and it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. 
Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my